When I saw that the gospel reading for this week was Mark's introduction to John the Baptist, at first I thought, oh, nice. And then when I read it, I began to consider what might be said about it, and I thought, wait, what's the point of this guy? What's going on here? Mark, direct and abrupt as ever, announces, the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and without any transition at all, identifies a strangely dressed man named John as the prophet anticipated by the prophets, the messenger to serve as a signage post, pointing toward the long-awaited Messiah. Mark identifies his prophetic source as Isaiah, but he's actually drawing on Malachi as well, which seems fair because Malachi 3 and Isaiah 40, our Old Testament reading for today, appear to have a lot in common. Malachi 3.1 reads, See, I am sending my messenger to prepare the way before me. Isaiah speaks of a voice that cries out, In the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Malachi says that after the messenger prepares the way for the Lord, the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. Isaiah similarly declares that after every valley is lifted up and every mountain made low, the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all people shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. This takes me back to creation in the beginning, when we hear God speak us into existence, God brought about his word when he crafted the sun and the moon and the rest of the universe. God brought about his word when he promised Abraham a child. God brought about his word when he delivered his people from Egypt. An ever-creating God will bring about his word to the prophets that he will come reveal himself to humanity in a new way. All of this is what Mark evokes in starting his gospel with the person of John the Baptizer. This is why Origen, a third century Christian theologian, writes that the beginning of Mark can be viewed as the entire Old Testament. The beginning of the good news about Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is the Hebrew scriptures. The beginning of the gospel is the already millennia old creative work of Yahweh. And so the gospel begins with the Lord's word having been brought about. John the baptizer is the messenger that has come to set the stage for God's new self-revelation. Jesus is that new self-revelation. This is the way in which God returns to his temple. He tabernacles among us in the flesh. Jesus is the glory we can see together, the, vis the visible revelation of the invisible God. Jesus is the Messiah so long expected, God with us, God for us. We know just two things about Jesus from our, just our passage in Mark. First, that his appearance is good. And second, that John the baptizer's role is to point to Jesus, who is powerfully coming with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And it's John's job to cry out to those who will listen. Prepare the way for the Lord. Make his path straight. This order has always struck me as a little odd. Prepare the way for God? Isn't God the way maker? J. Alec Moitier's commentary on Isaiah explains, The way for the Lord combines the ancient picture of the Lord coming to his people's aid with the practice of constructing processional ways for visiting dignitaries or for, or for use by the gods as they were carried in procession, 
The Lord's road is to be straight, level, and free of obstacle. That is, he will arrive without fail, travel without difficulty, and be undelayed by hindrances. When Malachi talks of the messenger who will come ahead of the Lord, he says the same messenger will act as a refiner. And the preparation for the Lord will enable the people to give offerings that are pleasing to God. And refine he does. John the baptizer comes inviting others to repentance. This repentance is how, as Isaiah puts it, every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low. Repentance is what paves the way for God to come into our lives in a new way without meeting resistance. And so John's message reminds me of all those parables that brought us up to Christ the, Christ the King Sunday a few weeks ago. John urges his hearers to be on the lookout for God's new work. The people need to be alert, to repent, to confess their sins, to be baptized into a new awareness of their need for God's gracious action. I love what Tertullian, another theologian who lived and wrote in the third and fourth centuries, observes about this passage in Mark. Quote, John's call to repentance is to lead the way, an actual remission is to follow. One who prepares does not make himself perfect, but rather makes ready for another to perfect. Ambrose, the last patristic era theologian, I'll quote today, comments that repentance must first condemn sin that grace may blot it out. John does not invite his hearers to save themselves, but instead to live as if the Savior is coming soon. As Deacon Joy reminded us last week, Advent isn't just the anticipation of Christmas, of remembering those who have gone before us in faith and awaited Jesus' birth 2,000 years ago. Advent also pulls us into our own present-day anticipation of Jesus' promised coming again to save us. Some of you might be thinking, but I am saved. Jesus has already saved me. I've been baptized, or I've been confirmed, or I've had a conversion experience, or I don't know if I could pinpoint a moment, but I know I've been transformed and trust that God will carry that work to completion, that my name is written in the book of life, and Jesus is saving me a seat in heaven. All of that may well be true. I'm not here to challenge that, and I don't think these passages mean to. But I will say that the prophets and the psalm we read together, and our excerpt from Second Peter, point to a reality that has not yet been actualized. Looking around at our world, I would not say that glory dwells in our land, as the psalmist promises it will. I would not say that truth flourishes out of the earth, as the psalmist promises it will. I would not say that righteousness is at home around me, as Peter insists it will be when heaven and earth are renewed, when, in the words of the psalmist, righteousness and peace shall kiss each other. We may be saved, but we are not saved. We may be rescued in a very real way, but we still need rescuing. And I hope with Peter that this truth will find us at peace, because I find it a relief to admit things are not as they should be, that righteousness and justice and peace and love seem to be missing everywhere we look. Our bodily separation from one another in this time of plague is not as it should be. Our health care system is not as it should be. Our governments are not as they should be. 
Our economy is not as it should be. Our relationship to our planet and the land is not as it should be. Our workplaces and the demands of our labor are not as they should be. Our schools are not as they should be. Our neighborhoods are not as they should be. Our families are not as they should be. Even our church is not as it should be. Things are not as they should be, but thank God things won't stay that way. God will bring about the ultimate exodus, the ultimate and complete and unalterable rescue of us from our broken patterns of being together as bodies and citizens and workers and learners and stewards and families and neighbors and parishioners. And what a relief, because I, sure as the hell we so often find ourselves in, can't force the goodness and glory God intends for all creation. Still, we are not without God's presence. We are not without the Spirit, and so we are not without power. Somehow, in the midst of this, we can prepare the way for the Lord. With this God-given power, we can strive to live lives of holiness and godliness as we wait for the coming of the day of God, for new heavens and a new earth, for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. I was babysitting Julie and Keith Johnson's son, Blake, a few months ago. Our morning together had nearly come to an end. I was outside with him waiting for the school bus to come and pick him up and take him to kindergarten, which he'd started just a couple weeks prior. He had a mask on and a backpack on, ready to go, and was telling me about how his school doesn't have recess right now because of the pandemic. He was telling me that he missed play that he was tired of the sense of separation and loss that pervades our lives right now. And then he said, while he was walking on the curb like a balance beam, did you know one day the whole earth is going to be heaven? Friends, the whole earth is going to be like heaven. I'm going to go out on a limb here and describe it and hope I haven't run into any heresy. Here goes. God's people across time and space will be joined all together somehow, no one separated from anyone else. Our bodies won't be houses of fear and pain and sickness and decay anymore. Everyone will be taken care of. Nations will not be at odds with one another. No one will be a Republican or Democrat anymore. Land will not be pillaged or stolen or segregated. Labor will not be painful. Labor conditions will not be unjust. My guess is money won't be a thing anymore. We'll all have eternity to learn and wonder. Our relationships will be without strain or pain. They'll be utterly delightful. There will be none who cast out, none who are cast out, none who violate, none who are violated. Love and justice, one and the same, will reign. We will be fully with God. Everything we do will be fully with God. And this is only good news. Sometimes the reality of who God is and what he asks or what he's doing or where he's taking us feels like bad news. But the gospel is only ever good news. Christ's coming is only ever good news. I don't want to delay this new reality. 
which is easy to say maybe when things are bad. I do believe Peter when he tells us that God's slowness, what appears to us to be slowness anyway, is a manifestation of his patience, his love for all creation. Somehow the waiting, the longing that we have to go through is grace because that's all God ever gives. And I believe God is coming for us whether we make it easy for him or not. But since we have been baptized by the Spirit, since we have the power and the possibility of newness as a result of God's being with us even now, how could we prepare for him? How could we ensure him a smooth landing, if you will? John the baptizer teaches us, as he taught his hearers 2,000 years ago, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Name the ways our relationships and the spaces we inhabit look more like hell than like heaven. And do something about it, not because we are our own saviors, but because our savior has not abandoned us. Let us then not abandon our faith, our God, our world, or one another while we wait. Let us work as we are able for earth to be as it is in heaven. We can be the place where mercy and truth have met together, where righteousness and peace have kissed each other, while we wait for the inauguration, the finished creation of a world where righteousness will be at home. We can grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and we can fill our world with it because he is with us even now. To him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. Amen.